Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Cave to the Cross Apologetics, where we're pulling off the, the dust covers and shining them up, pulling them out, cracking open the spines, making sure that the books that we told our wives that we would read were actually reading. <laughs> That's what we do here on the show. And in the book that we're covering now, it's uh, hopefully there's not too much dust on it because it's relatively new, but it is uh, Scott Christensen's What About Evil? And we're right in the middle of it. So hopefully you're kind of breaking the spine if, if you got the, the physical book. Uh, we're getting to the point where we can hold, hold it open by both sides of the pages. That's so we're, right. that we're, we're kind of almost right in the middle of that. And we talked about free will in the past four episodes. Didn't know we were going to do four, but, uh, you know, it, there, there's just a, a lot to cover with that, especially because it seemed to have been the key answer for a lot of people. Right. And we saw that kind of the reform perspective um, has some issues with that, and 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 there are implications, both biblical and uh, philosophical, that uh, that the uh, the libertarian free will, um, and we we put the libertarian point on that because both sides believe in free will, but the reform perspective would couch it as soft determinism, uh, which we haven't gotten to yet, but. That's uh, that, uh, uh, the, the the spoiler uh, review there is that uh, that's where he, he's uh, going to be going. And uh, now we're getting more into uh, the uh, other explanations to, to see what are the benefits, uh, what are the, the negative impacts. And so um, that's where we start off with our chapter here. Uh, chapter six, working for the greater good. He starts out by saying, uh, historically and uh, broadly speaking, Christianity has addressed the problem of moral evil in kind of two primary ways. First, the most prominent response is some variation of the free will defense, which we've covered, which says that God has no specific purpose for evil, and that is an unfortunate consequence of granting his creatures the valuable gift of libertarian free will that uh, there's nothing that tells us uh, we we must make a decision it's it's by our own wants wishes uh, even then sometimes uh, we can those, arbitrarily make any decision <laughs> at any time there, yeah. there seems to be that factor um, and and nothing really holds us uh, uh, back or uh, um, forward in making those decisions so uh, that has been kind of one of the main key staples. But there are others that uh, that we covered um, when we did the introduction. And uh, once we cover it, uh, uh, the the definitions that were in those first ones, I'll pop up on the screen uh, so that it will remind you of uh, what uh, specifically we're talking about in the, the logical order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so the issue is how do we deal with free will? The first way he's saying here, and we saw last time, as you mentioned, uh, I mean, sorry, how do we deal with evil? The first way is free will, right? The free will de- defense, or, uh, and uh, it attempts to show basically that God's, the existence of God is compatible with evil, that the reason why there's evil is because uh, we have free will, mm-hmm. and free will is so important and so valuable that God says, okay, whatever you do, you know, I'm going to let you do it because of the value of free will. Right. And that's pretty much it. And so that's why there is evil. And so Christensen doesn't like that. And we saw that last time. Right? He thinks that that's, uh, that has some problems. So the second solution to the evil issue is, um, he says, some variation of the greater good theodicy, right? The greater good defense, he says, he'll use that interchangeably. So theodicy, defense, right? Um, And so he's going to look at that in this particular chapter in chapter six. So 
in contrast to the general goods of the free will defense, he says, this theodicy indicates that God decrees evil because it accomplishes some particular greater good, right? Or in some cases prevents a worse evil. Uh, That would not be possible unless evil were part of the equation. So that's the basic idea of this uh, greater goods defense or greater goods theology, Mm -hmm. right? So in this chapter, chapter six, we will explore several other defenses and theodicies that are akin to the greater good defense or correlate uh, to it in some way. And we'll kind of cover the the uh, definitions and the broad broad areas, and then we'll get into the kind of the critique a little bit of of where Christensen sees um, those theories um, uh, coming up a little short. These are soul making theodicies, uh, the best of all possible worlds defense, and the divine judgment defense. Yeah. And again, what I really like about Christensen is uh, his uh, transparency here, right? He is willing to say, look, these positions have problems that we need to make sure we work through if Mm -hmm. we're going to hold a position. And so what he does here, as you mentioned here, is give us the, uh, the position and then points out some of the problems with a promissory note that he's going to deal with them right. in later chapters. Right. Right? Yeah. Keep your turn. <laughs> That's right. So it says here that many passages of Scripture indicate that these second-order goods come forth from first-order evils. So second-order goods come from first-order evils. For example, James, right? James 1, 2 through 4. Uh, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So there's the first order evils. We're meeting trials, right? First order. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There's the second order good, right? After you do this first order, this is a kind of a result here. Mm -hmm. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So such a good could be achieved by God, he suggests, in no other way. You have to have this in order to get here is the kind of the idea. Here, yeah. right? I kind of view it as uh, the, the, the gym metaphor. You know, you, you go and you're, you're breaking down your body. You're, you're tearing, you're making micro fractures and all, <laughs> all the, the, the scientific key terms of you're, you're moving weights from one point to the other point and never getting anywhere. <laughs> but over time those weights start getting lighter and lighter and lighter and you're having to put on more and more and more. And soon your bodybuilder able to, you know, uh, lift the, the refrigerator. If you, if you need to move it from, from a scotch over here to a scotch over here, and it's become easier because you've, you've done the hard work of breaking down your body. You've gone to the gym every single uh, day for the past you know year. And there's, there's the outcome. You, you, you did something that was a greater good in the end. The, 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 the evil was breaking down your muscle, the sore, the, the time the, the, to do it, and then boom, uh, you, you've got the muscle to, to, to do it. And That's the second you're looking order over good. It. Yeah. yeah. So some people intend their actions for nefarious purposes. I have no, no idea what he's talking about there, but there are some people who are actually evil or do evil things. Right. And this is all that we might see, right? Uh, uh, the the um, taking of all the the widows and older folks' money into a penny stock that uh, was pumped and dumped, uh, and the person got away scot-free, and they're living in the Bahamas. That <laughs> the, the, the laws can't touch them. But God intends those same actions for a greater good, like uh, Genesis fifty twenty. Uh, you know, it's the the brothers and Joseph. You know what uh, you intended for evil, God intended for good. So. 
why am I, why would I uh, want to kill you? This is exactly where God has placed me. And don't, don't we see the kind of end result there is I was able to save many people, Joseph is saying mm-hmm. at, at the end there. So don't fear, I'm not going to kill you because, you know, I'm, uh, this isn't an act. I, I really enjoy <laughs> you uh, being here. But we don't always see the good. We we don't have we in certain places in scripture like Genesis fifty twenty. We do see kind of the end result there. But there are a lot of times we don't see the good that's produced from the evil. Mm-hmm. So the pump and dump suck. I don't know what happens to that guy. You know, he, well, sounds he like get, he has a good time in yeah, the Bahamas. Right. To me. <laughs> does he? Does he? Does he get a sunburn? Does you know? Does something uh, nefarious happen to him as well? You know, is is this idea of karma, uh, which is definitely not a Christian one, but uh, you know, we 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 tend to to like to have that saying of well, at least he got you know something in the end. In the in the Twilight Zone, there'd be a twist, and he'd <laughs> he'd find out that uh, you know he traveled back in time where his his money is worthless. That's Right. Or like the that. Bahamas is full of monsters. Or <laughs> right, <something. yeah. laughs> God has a specific telios to evil, an end, a, a goal, a design, uh, something for, for that purpose. It has a teleological function. And this presupposes God's providential control over evil, as in Psalms 103.19 says. God especially causes all things, not just some things, not just one thing, not just a series of events that... Uh, lead to one single event coming out, but all things, the good, the evil, the, the, the boring, the exciting, mm-hmm. all the moments, every bl- bright and blackened molecule to work for the greater good of his chosen one. And that's Romans eight twenty eight. So mm-hmm. all things work together for God, for yeah. those who love him. Yeah, for, yeah, for those who love God. Yeah. For, um, and also James teaches that the trials that test our faith are intended to produce within us perfect and complete character so that we're lacking uh, no good thing within, right? James 1, 2 through 4. If you're a college student, memorize the first two chapters of James, oh, yeah. and it'll help yeah. you get through the rest yeah. of the four years. <laughs> so he says we step back from our suffering and glimpse it from a cosmic perspective, and when we do that, in order to produce a transcendent joy, James tells us, that no one can, can take away. Such evil then becomes, notice, necessary in order to forge a faith more precious than gold, is what First Peter um, 1, 6, and 7 tells us. But it's calculating the good from every instance of evil such an easy task, right? This happens, okay, well, then the good happens. And so you have a kind of one-to-one, you know, uh, type of, it, can we see that every time? And then can we make that calculation? He says, is that really easy? And of course, he answers that no, it's not. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although that was one of my answers for uh, the metaphysics class that I had on uh, God and, and Hume's uh, um, issues that he had with God. Uh, but I always think, and I won't uh, bring up a Lord of the Rings reference here, but uh, this is, is reminding me of um, Saving Private Ryan. And spoiler alert, they saved Private Ryan. Uh-oh. <laughs> and at well, the, let's hope so. It was called Saving Private yeah, Ryan. Yeah. Well, maybe it's just like uh, I have a hope of Saving Private Ryan. Uh, but at the end, you know, it, uh, everyone that, that searched him out died and, and, and he made it through. And at the end, he asked his wife, uh, you know, did, did I earn it? it was, uh, that's what Captain Miller, Tom Hanks' character, told him uh, right before he, he died was earn it. 
and he, you know, was looking at the grave and he's like, oh, did I earn it? Was it, was, was my life worth all those people suffering and dying just to get me home? It, right. it, it, you know, and then, you know, you kind of look in the background and there's his grandchildren and his children waiting for him and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, the, the, can we say that a, a group of, I, I think it was 12 people uh, searching for him, was their sacrifice worth his one life? And then, you know, all the implications from that as well. So um, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a hard yeah. task for, for us to do, especially when we're talking to people. Again, this isn't just some, some debate that we have amongst the hallowed halls of, of, of you know, higher society. This is uh, mothers who lose their children, husbands that lose, lose their wives. I mean, this, this is affecting our um, daily interactions with people who, when we tell them we're Christian and we have answers, they say, well, what about yeah. this thing that happened? Right. So, yeah. so this is, um, this is definitely a reason why we want to make sure the answers that we have are biblically based and sufficient. Right. And, and so it's, you know, it's, so he's suggesting here that we have an answer here with this greater good theodicy, but it, you know, that doesn't mean that we can match each bad thing with another good thing, nor that it's easy to say, well, there's, there's a greater good, right? So he goes on to objections to the greater good theodicy here, and he's got a number of them. And uh, the, the, the primary and most serious objection to the greater good theodicy is that no matter what good arises from God's decree to permit evil, it makes him the author of evil. Mm. That is, God becomes morally culpable for its existence. And uh, if you're on the Calvinist side of things, this is one that's that's levied at uh, um, th- this idea of, of God being both the uh, creator of good and evil. That's the, the charge. And he says that, uh, hold on, that'll be covered in chapter 9, oh. which ironically will be Romans 9 <laughs> that he's going to cover with that. <laughs> so uh, I'm not saying it was planned, but <laughs> he might have a bird's eye view here of, uh, of coming attractions. But a, a related concern suggests that if this theodicy has some merit on its face, nonetheless, it cannot account for the supposed greater good that comes from most evils. Do the ends justify the means? Are the goods weighty enough to justify the evil necessitated by them? Mm. That seems to be um, uh, something of an issue here. Right. And so he also asks, can we know enough to say that a particular good justifies evil that produced it? Right. In many, in fact, perhaps most cases, we would have to humbly say and answer no can't right Right. we don't know can we even know he says what goods a particular evil might produce and he suggests perhaps rarely can we know that right so we are limited is the is the issue here yeah unless if if bounded within scripture or we can see something uh you know extraordinary that results as as a result you know um, my example of you know just someone getting in a car accident and losing their leg and then through that process, they study medicine and cure cancer. And they can point to that moment of that's when I wanted to become a doctor. That's when I wanted to change people's lives and, and stuff like that. So you could probably point to say, all right, curing cancer for one person's leg. That, I would say the, the, the balance of the scales is there. But that's really hard for not just the, 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 the big ones like the Holocaust and uh, tsunamis that, that kill, you know, 180,000 people and uh tilt the earth's axis for another two degrees, but um, 
the the the, the little ones, the car accidents, mm-hmm. is the the deaths at uh, inappropriate times and stuff like that. So um, we do have uh, trouble pointing to the ends justifying the means for that. Um, so one of the topics here is to covering uh, gratuitous evil, and the problem is exacerbated when uh, we consider horrendous horrendous instances of evil that many would regard as gratuitous. Note that the distinction between horrendous and gratuitous evil should be made here. Horrendous evil is evil that is undeniably heinous, but not pointless. So big things, uh, uh, torture of puppies and, uh, you know, someone being, you know, um, a serial killer murdered in weird uh, um, games. That would be horrendous, Uh, you know, uh, uh, sick for the idea of being sick ideal. But gratuitous evil is any evil usually horrendous evil, that seems kind of pointless, having no apparently good reason for existing. You have to remember back to um, his definition a couple chapters ago of a good theodicy would have um, that that tying of good to evil that outweighs that evil and all points of evil, not just uh, some, but every single evil that's out there has to be tied back into some good in order for it to be a good theodicy. Yeah, and so, you know, the issue here then is that uh, a gratuitous evil is pointless, right? And um, obviously he's going to argue that those kinds of evils don't happen. That's right. what God is is uh, is uh, dealing with, right? Uh, <clears throat> and so what's the answer to gratuitous evil, right? In other words, uh, how do we know that particular uh, evil has a purpose, Right, especially if there's no one-to-one correlation right. that we can we can look at, and he says, "Well, uh, you know, can such apparently gratuitous evil ever justify any good that God would seek to achieve?" It would seem, he tells us, uh, utterly presumptuous to speak in the affirmative with one ounce of confidence. Furthermore, fishing for a tidy answer, he says, is pastorally disastrous. Right when seeking to comfort the afflicted. Silence is often the better part of wisdom, right? So we don't say, well, yeah, all of this tragedy happens in your life, you know, but, you know, it's for a greater good, but we don't know what it is, right? (laughs) Thanks a lot, Pastor, right? Right. (laughs) So that's that's what he's getting at here. Again, like a a death of a child, you can imagine that scenario coming in. Why did God take um, my two-year-old at at that age that did nothing wrong? I didn't, you know, I've been... I've been a good person. I haven't stolen anything. You know, I have all, all these things flash forward. And then you have that uh, pastor on the other end saying, well, all things, you know, are, are, are good for you. It, 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 there's a reason for yeah, it. Yeah, it, it works it's, together It's almost like good. a platitude. It works together for good. Really? So my death of my child, what what good is that? Right, <laughs> Why, right. You know? But if you don't have an answer, I mean, what, what do you point to other than, well, maybe this will happen as a result of it. And you're just kind of speculating that. So what lesson can we learn from things like the Nazi death camps? Yeah, is good going to come out of that? Right. right. <laughs> Some would say none. Right. It is impertinent to even ask the question. Yeah. Yeah. There is an important response to the charge that the greater good defense cannot escape gratuitous evil. It is known as skeptical theism defense, which he doesn't really like that term, but uh, he says it's an unfortunate uh, designation. Mm. It should be called sensibly humble theism, (laughs) as the following will make clear. The sensibly humble skeptical theist says that we do not know enough, thus the skepticism, to make definitive pronouncements 
about the goods that God may have in permitting particular evils, especially those that are horrendous. Hmm. So why did God allow the, the Nazi death camps? Christian, come on, I need an answer. I don't know. Yeah. But I do know that there are purposes. And so the, the skeptical it's, um, uh, kind of uh, renders his standing within the character of God and the pronouncements in the Bible and trusts them and says that there's no way of me knowing to present to you like, oh, well, it saved, you know, 800 million people by, by doing that. I don't know that. So I'm going to be skeptical of providing you a, a sufficient answer. with that. Right. Right. I'm going to be skeptical about even knowing a sufficient answer. Right? right. He says we may be undeniably uncertain what goods a particular evil might produce, but we can rest assured in the opposite position. Can we rest assured that it was not going to produce any good? Right. He says being severely limited in our knowledge and wisdom, we can say that absolutely um, no goods can be justified by the evils that might produce them. Can we really say that? Right. As he's questioning. Can right. we really say that? So there's right? there's two sides of the equation. There is what he's saying. He's saying on one side, uh, you know, you, you look at the Holocaust and you say, you can't tell me that uh, a good can come out of this. And on the opposite side, it says, you can't tell me. No good can come out exactly, of this. Exactly, right? So how can we question that? Do we know enough to question that? And then, of course, the answer is no, we don't, right? right? The critic, he says, has to prove a universal negative, right? That there's no reason that would justify God in permitting whatever difficult case of evil we wish uh, to dredge up from a pit of horrors. So that's what the critic would have to say. Well, it's gratuitous. There's no, there's no reason for it. Well, how do you know that? Right? He says to embrace this claim is at least equally presumptuous. Right. Uh, one would have to pretend to know the furthest recesses, he tells us, of the infinite mind of God. Right. Right? There can't be any good for this. Well, how, do you, how can you know that? Right? Mm-hmm. How can you know that? That's the, that's the counter he's suggesting here to this particular gratuitous. So the, so the, the claim is that the greater good uh, defense allows for gratuitous evil, and he's saying, no, it doesn't, right? Well, how do we know that we don't, we, right? We can't know that there will be gratuitous evil. How do hmm. we know there won't be any good that comes out of it? That's what he's trying to tell right. us here, right? And, and when you start getting into apologetics, you know one of the, um, the questions that you deal with is the atheist saying uh, there's, there's no possibility that God exists. And so... The common response uh, has to do with tea in China. Uh, so you, you know, the 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 um, response is, well, that's like saying that there's absolutely no tea in China. Well, what would require you a sufficient knowledge of having that 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 truth claim? Well, you'd have to have complete knowledge of everything in and underneath China in order to say there is no tea in China. So can we say that for the existence of God? Do I have ultimate knowledge of all things to say there's no possibility? And so that's kind of the, the same response kind of here. thing he's saying. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I will say too that um, this is one of the reasons why, uh, in court cases for murders or anything like that, um, people always want the the why response, and prosecutors are really hesitant to give an accurate uh, reason of why they might have theories and, and it does help the case at times if, if they can really cement the facts of the case. But when you're, when you're, you're con- trying to convict somebody of doing something, um, the, 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 the motive aspect is a nice thing, but it's not needed. It's not required within the court of law. 
So that's kind of what we're getting at here is, well, we can speculate that, you know, he was cheating on his wife or uh, he wanted it for the insurance money. That might all have been the case, but it might have just been one bad day for them. The mm-hmm. One argument mm-hmm. that, that threw him over the ledge. And if we if we hang our, our hat on this being the explanation, uh, some evidence might come along that, that overturns not, it. Yeah. And now so then we it, it throws yeah. everything in the question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if they were wrong about this, were, we, were they wrong about you know, his, his bloody handprint on the knife, <laughs> something like that. So our comprehension of divine knowledge, wisdom, and purpose, especially concerning particular instances of evil, is limited at best. And I would say, unless if it's in Scripture, where we kind of know the outcome from it, I would say that's a hard Not thing. Not to correct, to, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and even within there, you, you, you see things that, that progress the story along. But can we say that the goodness of all this coming about is equal to the evil that we've previously read? Um, a, a very um, hard thing to do. Yeah. This softens the concern that a theodicy has to answer every last question about evil. Certainly, it is desirable for a theodicy to be a, as comprehensive as possible. We want those answers. Right. That, that would be a, a great thing to give if we could... If we could look down the corridors and, of time and, and give all the answers to why every portion of evil ever right, happened, every right. little bit of evil, every great evil, right? Why did it happen? If we had all the answers, that'd be great, right? But Satisfying. It, <laughs> it would be nice. But an exhaustive theodicy, at least in this world, is impossible. Mm. Yet entrusting our suffering souls to a supremely holy, wise, and benevolent God in seemingly impossible circumstances, it's precisely what he wants us to do. And that's what we do see in Scripture. We see it in a a number of of examples that uh, Christensen gives in this book that uh, uh, we'll talk about. Yeah. So the objection to that then is, okay, fine. If that's the case, then why should we fight evil? If it's going to, you know, eventually accomplish something good, right? Right. And so he says this is the objection, right? The greater good theodicy suggests that we have no incentive to refrain from, to pray against, or to fight evil if God always has greater purpose for it, right? It kind of, you know, it defeats God's purpose to try to, you know, defeat evil, right? It's it's kind of a a fideistic approach (laughs) and just, well, this is how God wanted it to turn out, so... I don't, I don't do anything. If, yeah. if, if God wanted, uh, you know, to, to, to me to get out of the way of this car, then he would move me. <laughs> okay. And so, the, but he says that uh, this objection fails to see what uh, strikingly different ground we stand on from God, right? Given our rationally uh, and radically limited wisdom, knowledge, and power, we, we cannot presume the prerogatives of God. We have no ability to ensure that good can emanate from evil, right, or entertain knowledge of what sorts of second-order goods could be generated by a particular evil, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, so we don't just dive off and say, well, you know, we don't do anything. What if doing something is part of what the God wants us to do, and that's part of, you know, that that uh, deters, that's part of the good that comes out of the evil is us doing something. Right. Yeah. If that's the case, now we failed miserably. Right. Right. Yeah. That that uh, um, that that charge can be levied at at both sides of the equation to do something and not to do something. Uh, you know, it's the the old joke of the the the, the man who's in, in in the flood and he's he's drowning. The uh, um, 
he he says, well, uh, if God wants to rescue me, he will. And he, he sends the guy in the, the rowboat and then he sends, uh, the, 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 um, um, the coast guard. And then he sends the helicopter and he's like, no, no, each time, uh, if, if God wants to save me, he will. And he drowns and he goes to heaven, meets God. And he says, God, I trusted you. What happened? He's like, what more do you want? I sent a boat. I sent the coast guard. I sent a helicopter. And so it's like the, 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 the excuse to do no action is not a valid excuse because he does use us again. Uh, it, it, God saves us for what in, in, in Ephesians two, eight, eight, nine. And I always say 10 yeah. for good. He has saved us for what he has saved us for good works. Yeah. We are required to do good works. And that's not a legalistic term. It's not a, if you don't do good works, you won't be saved. It's if you You're are already saved, saved you yeah. will do good works. Yeah, and, exactly. and that at least from the Christian side tells us, that we're not thwarting God's plan by acting. We are supposed to act, and it's what God expects of us. It's one of the reasons why He doesn't save us and then take us out of the world. I mean, He, he could. Uh, you know, we could we could wait to be baptized uh, at, uh, on our deathbed, and, and that's. <laughs> but, uh, how do we know that evil won't lead to greater evils? That God does not intend instead of greater goods. Therefore, we are never to pursue evil so that good may come. Uh, Romans three eight nine. You know. Should, should we do all this evil so that in the end God will receive even more glory? Absolutely not. Paul's yeah. like, what do you, yeah. you know, what do you think about that? May it never be, right? He <laughs> <laughs> I mean, makes it pretty emphatic. That's yeah. not the way to go. Rather, we are always called to overcome evil with good. And I mean, isn't that, isn't that the story we like seeing? That, that's the, that's, that's uh, Romans 12, 21. But, you know, we, we read those stories where it's the, the underdog, it's the, the bully kid who, who rises up against the bully and, and, you know, thwarts the plans. We, we, we want the good to overcome the evil in, 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 in the stories that we read. Our finite and corrupted condition constrains us in ways that utterly separate us from the transcendent, uh, transcendently sovereign, wise, and holy ends of God. Yeah, yeah, so we are limited. Furthermore, some goods cannot be achieved in any other way. Right. Even an omnipotent God cannot achieve certain goods without certain prior evils. It would be wrong for him not to ordain uh, certain evils. Right. right. So, for example, in order for the greatest good ever, right, the, the plan of redemption uh, to be brought about, uh, the Son of God had to be unjustly tried and crucified. Yeah. Uh, without knowing this plan, we would be appalled by the fact that it pleased the Father to crush his own son, right? right? And so when Christ was tried and crucified, God ordained the greatest injustice ever, uh, yet it was precisely designed to achieve the greatest good that the world has ever known. God gladly ordains those evils he utterly hates, but he never ensures that any evil transpires if it would not achieve a far weightier good than the evil itself. Right. So no gratuitous evil. God is using that evil no matter how heinous it seems for a greater good. And that is the, 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 the nub, right, the, the central core of the uh, of the greater good defense. I mean, right? if you're going to use an example, that that's the one to use. Yeah, and we can see it played out. It's not oh well, of course you you guys are reading the end of the story, but the people that are that were in Isaiah's time reading Isaiah 53 
and seeing, well, he was beat for our, you know, our, our transgressions. He was killed. Well, okay. I don't see how that's possible. So, um, and I don't it, see but, why, why yeah. you know, what good is that? Right? <laughs> right. What good is it that he's beat for our transgressions? Right. right? Yeah. And, and, and you, you see the, the, the Jewish leaders of the time, the Sadducees saying like, no, this isn't possible. This is blasphemy for, for this to happen. There's no way that God can do this because this, this is opposite of, of who God is. But they're only reading it through the lens of by by saying like, oh, God is so transcendent that there, it's not even possible for to him to enter into our creation. And th- this is this is uh, the the arguments that the Muslims uh, have against uh, Christianity. It's uh, you know it got, God God is changing his nature by doing this. And the proper response is no, it's not a change of of nature. It's an addition to his nature. So right. yeah. is it is it impossible for God to uh, become human? It doesn't. It doesn't seem like anything precludes him from this, and that's that's what we see in the story of 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 deicide, the 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 murder of God, the 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 only special person to be killed who's a hundred percent innocent of anything in right. the entire world, and we say here's the greatest evil ever committed, and it's good. There's a reason why we call it Good Friday, not so, so sad, you know, Friday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so sad, too bad Friday. Yeah, right. <laughs> so what we've seen here is he's given us kind of an introduction into this greater good uh, defense. He's looked at a couple of objections to the general idea of the greatest good defense, and he's shown that those objections may or probably don't work. And now what he's going to do next is to look at some specific uh, you know, characterizations of the greater good defense and show, uh, since the ones he's going to look at aren't his, right, he's going to show where he thinks they fall short so that when he gives his, he can solve these problems. Right. Right. Which is an easy thing to do. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and we'll cover that uh, in the preceding uh, episodes as well. So we'll, we'll uh, put a pause here and uh, p- pick back off in these uh, different types of uh, greater good theodicies and see um, what they are and uh, where they may be lacking so that uh, we can provide a, a sound, reasoned, and also scriptural um, uh, answer that hopefully does uh, um, uh, a, a more full, better job here. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for watching and um, continue to um, um, pull off other books from your shelves and, and read them so that uh, in, in the end, we're, we're here to glorify God and it's, it's, uh, you know, we should be grounded in the scripture. We should understand that because that's our ultimate standard. So that when we pull off these books from our shelves, we can match it to what we're actually seeing. And while someone might write a good book, uh, if it's not matching uh, what we see as our ultimate standard of, of God's revelation to us, um, then those are things to read underline in that book. But, uh, but God has given us um, uh, both uh, um, people of the world and people uh, who have been taken out of the world and changed into new heart uh, to provide us um, uh, the ability to, to learn. And we are just uh, overzealous with the abundance of, of um, books and articles and ways to communicate. And so um, let's always remember to um, reflect on the fact that, uh, that we must glorify God in all these things, and we must do that uh, in both spirit and truth. So hopefully this uh, show has helped you uh, with that, uh, helped answer some questions um, as, as we read uh, other people who um, we break down the, 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 the harder words uh, for you so that uh, we can learn as well, too. So thanks, Sue. Uh, thanks for joining us, and thanks for uh, uh, continuing to watch. So we'll see you next time. See you next time.